Hello there, and welcome to a brand new episode of My Favorite Movies, the podcast in which I count down my 100 favorite movies week by week. And I am, as always, your host, Chris. So last week, we talked about numbers 12 and 11 on my list of my 100 favorite movies. That was City of God and Me and You and Everyone We Know. On today's episode, we are finally cracking the top 10 and talking about number 10 and number 9 on my list of my 100 favorite movies. Number 10, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the Edgar Wright film from 2010. And number 9, A Ghost Story, the David Lowry film from 2017. Now, both those films are currently streaming on Netflix, if you'd like to check them out. And as always, I put the time codes for when I start talking about those movies in the episode description if you would like to skip ahead. And on the next episode of My Favorite Movies, we're going to continue climbing up the chart and talk about numbers 8 and 7 on my list of my 100 favorite movies. Number 8, Dogtooth. Dogtooth is a Greek film from 2009. It's a drama uh, directed and co-written by Yorgos Lanthimos. Now, we've talked about Yorgos Lanthimos on this list already when we discussed The Lobster. Uh, Well, this was before The Lobster. And I don't really want to tell you what it's about because I really feel like this is one of those movies. Because this is, I mean, one of the reasons why it's so high on my list is because I went into this movie not knowing anything about it. And if you do that, it is a trip. So you should check out Dogtooth. It is currently streaming on Canopy. That's for free. If you have a library card, you can sign up for Canopy for free. And it's also streaming on Shudder. That is a horror film subscription. And that costs only like three or four bucks a month. I have it. It's great. So yeah, check out Dogtooth. And next week, number seven on my list of my 100 favorite movies, Before Sunrise. That's right, folks. We are finally completing the trilogy. We talked about Before Midnight. We talked about Before Sunset. It is now to see where it all started. If you watched it in reverse order... Shame on you. I told you not to do that. But that's the way they were on my list. I'm very sorry. But this was the first one. It's from 1995. Romantic drama film directed by Richard Linklater. And it follows Jesse, played by Ethan Hawke, and Celine, played by Julie Delpy, as they uh, meet on a train and they spend the night walking around in Vienna together, getting to know each other and uh, falling in love. And it is just... It's great. It is the first film in the greatest trilogy of all time. And it is uh, number seven on my list of my 100 favorite movies. That's before Sunrise. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that one's not streaming anywhere. Very sorry. All right. Let's cover what I've watched recently. I watched the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. And I really enjoyed it. Honestly, I... Sorry. I think I enjoyed it more than the original. I like the story beats of the original a little more, but I think the remake does a good job of, you know, mixing things up. So if you have seen the original, you know, it's still, um, there's still going to be some fresh stuff in it. It's not all, it's not like a complete, you know, shot for shot remake or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, I rewatched Rachel getting married for the first time in years. 
Uh, lovely, lovely movie. Very lovely. Check it out. Rachel getting married. I watched Deepwater Horizon, the Peter Berg movie starring Mark Wahlberg, Kurt Russell, Dylan O'Brien, Gina Rodriguez, John Malkovich, Ethan Supley. You know, just different people. Um, oh, Kate Hudson. I thought Kate Hudson was very understated and very good in that movie. Anyway, Deepwater Horizon. I love movies like that. The, uh, you know, disaster movies, I guess. Just, I don't know why, but I always tend to enjoy those. Deepwater was pretty good. True story. Speaking of stories, I watched Police Story, the Jackie Chan film that kind of made him famous in America, maybe? I believe it's one of his first forays in the cinema, uh, but I could also be very wrong. Um, but uh, Police Story was very impressive. Not really my thing. You know, I don't know. I, know. I didn't really watch a lot of Jackie Chan stuff growing up, you know? But uh, yeah, it's impressive. Duh. Well, I saw The Invisible Man at the cinema. Elizabeth Moss is great. And uh, and the movie's good. It's it's pretty spooky. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It kept my attention. You know, it's uh, because, you know, it's it's there may or may not be, you know, who knows, an invisible person in this movie. And so a lot of shots, you're just like looking into nothing. And it's great because as an audience member, you're just like looking around at nothing being like, is there someone <laughs> in the shot right now? <laughs> like, um, but it's, yeah. It's great. The Invisible Man. Well done. And lastly, uh, I, I look, I've been rewatching all the Halloween movies. I saw Halloween Resurrection. I rewatched the Rob Zombie Halloween, which I liked a lot less than I originally did. And uh, I rewatched Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 last night. Um, that movie's fine. It's better than Rob Zombie's original Halloween. Uh, and that's it. Those are all the movies I watched. So... Before we get to the movies in this episode, let me just give you a quick recommendation. I'm terrible at uh, keeping track of these. And then, you know, like it's, I like sit down to record an episode and I'm like, oh man, I, I haven't written down a recommendation. So I like look online for like 10 seconds and I'm like, oh, well, that's a good movie. I'll just recommend that. So who knows? I may have recommended it many times already, <laughs> but uh, I quite liked the Joel Edgerton film, The Gift. It was uh, written, co-produced, and directed by Joel Edgerton. He's also in the film with Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. And it's a very good movie. Check it out. The Gift. Check it out. Oh, that's on Netflix. I, sh- I guess I should tell you where it's streaming, right? Uh, the Gift is currently on Netflix. All right. Well, I guess let's get to the first movie on the episode today we're cracking the top 10 finally talking about number 10 on my list of my 100 favorite movies we're talking scott pilgrim versus the world scott pilgrim versus the world came out in 2010 it's an action comedy film it was co-written produced and directed by edgar wright now we've talked about edgar wright before We've talked about Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, which came out in 2004 and 2007. And then this was his next film, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, in 2010. I mean, that's, I mean, what an incredible run right there. Three, like, oof. And then The World's End is good. I haven't watched it in a little bit, but I really enjoyed that. I liked Baby Driver. Anyway, this is not about that. Um, But hey, congrats to Edgar Wright for having three films on my list of my 100 favorite movies. That's pretty good. That's like 3% of the list, you know? <laughs> anyway, this film is based on a graphic novel series called Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley. 
and it stars Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim. And it's just about a guy who, um, he's in a little indie band and sort of falls in love with a girl and then all of her evil exes start fighting him and stuff. It 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 sort of plays out like a video game. And that that was the look of the graphic novel. You know, it's very uh, 8-bit, sprite-like. Uh, I've never actually read the graphic novel, but I assume there's a lot of video game references and stuff. And so the, the film uh, takes advantage of that. And so it's a lot of video game. I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a video game. It's a video game turned into a movie. And uh, it's pretty incredible. I say, let's start with the notes, right? So you start off, it's a universal film. And so you see the universal logo. You see that those universal letters coming around the globe and it's flying in the frame. Uh, but it's all 8-bit and it's all like, you know, chip toony and uh, MIDI, <laughs> you know. You know. Uh, the universal theme, but it's very uh, lo-fi. It's very cool. I've talked about it before when I talked about Edgar Wright, but he's a master of sound design uh, along with David Lynch. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but yeah, Edgar Wright, his sounds are a big uh, part of his films, I guess. I don't know what else to say. Uh, a lot of like dings and beeps and just like little things he'll just like add into the soundtrack. It's incredible. I can't, you know, can't think of any specific examples from this movie. Uh, but if you listen for it, you'll hear a lot of bleeps and bloops and dings and stuff because it's, you know, very video gamey. So the thing is, um, Scott Pilgrim, he's 22 years old, but he's dating a high schooler named Knives Chow. And uh, she's very into him and his band and stuff. Love the opening credits. The opening credits are great because uh, they just start playing. Um, the band starts playing and then little designs and stuff are coming out of the instruments. And, you know, it's uh, like sound waves and lightning bolts and stuff. It's very cool. It's all very, very cool. Uh, I love the shot where uh, it just backs away from the the band and it looks like the living room is suddenly like 30 feet long as opposed to like 10 feet long, you know, amazing. Uh, the opening credits are great. I love the moment where uh, Scott and Knives are uh, playing Dance Dance Revolution or something. What is like ninja themed? I don't know. But they're doing cool moves and stuff and suddenly they beat the level and it's like continue, 10, 9, you know, insert coins. Uh... And Scott's just looking at knives, and he just kind of smiles and points his head over. I wish you could see what I'm doing. I would definitely sell it better. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll get it. And uh, it's it's great. Anyway, he uh, eventually has a dream about a girl and then sees her at the library. And so he's suddenly, like, into this other girl, you know, this other young lady. And it's affecting his work at the band. And I love the part where they're just like, they're just like, hey, Scott, what are you doing? Like, thinking about your girlfriend? And he's like, my girlfriend? As if to be like, what? what you, I don't have a girlfriend. Uh, and then cut to like knives on the couch. And she's like, I'll be quiet. <laughs> and it's so funny because, you know, it's like he forgot she was in the room. It's funny. I love the bit when Scott first meets Ramona and he kind of sees her at the party and he goes up to her and he's just like, so, uh, you know, Pac-Man? And she's like, I know of him. She does that a couple times. It's great. He keeps telling his Pac-Man story. It's great. About how 
Um, Pac-Man was originally called Puck-Man, not because he looks like a hockey, hockey puck, but because of uh, like a language thing, uh, translation thing. Uh, but then they were scared that people would uh, vandalize it and make it look like F-U-C man. Uh, and so that's why they called him Pac-Man. So there you go. Uh, he goes around asking people about Ramona. And then there are little bits that you can kind of pick up on where she's just they're just like, he's she's got battle scars, bro. Oh, she's on another level, man. A lot of like, you know, hints, but also like some video game speak. Like she's on another level. You have to like level up to get to her and stuff. I love that stuff. I love when Scott is talking to Ramona and... He reveals that he and Kim, the girl drummer in his band, used to date. And he's just like, oh, no, we're, we're all good now. Cut to Kim. And she's just like giving him a crazy look. Great. A lot of great stuff. You really got to watch this movie. I'm just like telling you these funny little jokes in it. I'm not doing a good job. Ramona's a delivery person. So he orders a package to try and get her to deliver to him. And uh, she gets there, and he's like, hey, are, you know, you remember me? And she's like, oh, you're the Pac-Man guy? And he's like, oh, no, not even. <laughs> like, uh, Very funny. Great joke where he asks why she moved to Toronto. And she's like, yeah, I was in New York and stuff, and I just needed a place to chill. And uh, they're standing in the snow, and Scott's like, well, it's certainly chilled here. And she says, yeah. Scott says, chilled as in cold. She says, yeah, <laughs> it's a great, great bit. Am I doing a good job telling you how funny this movie is? I love the first kiss. It's great. They come in from the cold. Uh, it's a great moment. They get to the first battle of the bands. This is later. Kim freaks out because they have a girl drummer too. They play a song called I'm So Very Sad, which is just like five seconds long. And then Kieran Culkin, who is Scott's roommate, uh, yells from the balcony, not a race, guys. Very funny. Anna Kendrick is in this movie, Scott's sister. She uh, is sitting near Ramona and Knives. I guess he has not officially broken up with Knives yet. and uh, But also Ramona, he's he's double dating right now. He's, he's playing them. He's being a player. He's not doing a good thing right here. Just let everybody know. But you can see um, Scott's sister like ask Knives, like, oh, well, how, how did you meet Scott? And she's starting to tell a story in front of Ramona. And you can see Scott just be like, oh, no. And, you know, they have to go play real quick. It's great. Young Neil is like their uh, roadie kind of guy. There's a great part where he's, uh, you know, standing behind a big speaker. And he's like humming, singing along to the lyrics. But you can see him getting the lyrics wrong. Very great. I love the Seinfeld bit. There's a bit where Scott comes home. And he slides into the door and you hear like the Seinfeld theme and you hear uh, some like, you know, uh, canned applause. And then they keep like making jokes back and forth. He and his roommate and you hear like a lot of Seinfeld laughing and stuff, you know, very funny. But then the roommate like just turns something on the oven and then the, the laughing goes away. Very great. We got Chris Evans as Lucas Lee. Scott is trying to break up with uh, Knives, so he asks her, like, are you even allowed to date outside your race or whatever? She's a, a high school Catholic Chinese girl. Uh, sad breakup. He breaks up with her, and she just, like, they're both just, like, standing in a black void, sort of. It's great. But later, now he's, like, all about Ramona and stuff, and she's going to come over and watch them uh, play. And uh, she walks into the door, and she's changed her hair blue. And he's like, you know your hair? She says, I know of it. Again, she did that earlier. Very funny. But she's, uh, he's, uh, he doesn't feel good about it because she changed her hair. She's fickle, spontaneous, impulsive. 
Um, and he doesn't know if he can handle that. Uh, but it's great. All that stuff is great. I love the bit where they're sitting around eating, or eating garlic bread. And he's like, I love garlic bread. I could eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I, I could just eat it all the time and never stop. And then Ramona says, yeah, but then you get fat. And he says, why would I get fat? And she said, bread makes you fat. He says, bread makes you fat? Uh, J-Lo used like a TikTok or something to uh, lip sync to that part of the movie. And it's very funny. I don't know if you can find it on her Instagram or something. Check it out. Uh, Chris Evans is Lucas Lee. Now uh, he's like filming something in Toronto. And so they go down to check it out. When he comes out, you hear the universal fanfare, which is great. And he calls his own action. Anyway, he threatens Scott because he's one of the evil exes. And then he gets all of his uh, stunt doubles to come out to do, do the fighting for him. And Lucas tells Scott, he's like, yeah, sometimes I let him do the wide shot when I feel like getting blazed back in my Winnie. Very funny. As his stunt doubles are beating up Scott, he's walking away and he gets a text and he looks down and he kind of laughs at himself. And he says, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> um, anyway. The League of Evil Exes. He reveals like this is part of a League, League of Evil Exes. And uh, Scott's like, oh, I, I didn't know. And he says, oh, well, if you didn't know, that's fine. No harm, no foul. And he's like, oh, okay. And he sucker punches Scott. It's great. And eventually Scott hatches the plan. He sees this giant set of stairs with this big rail. And, he's, and he asks Lucas Lee, he says, hey, can you do a thingy on that rail? He's like, yeah, it's called a grind. Why would I do that? And he's like, oh, hey, if you're not man enough. And he's like, of course, yeah, I'll do it. Give me my board. And the roommate comes in holding the board. He's like, hi, big fan. He says, why wouldn't you be? Great. So he starts to grind down the rail. And then uh, you see the points racking up. He's getting a lot of points because, again, this is all like a big video game. Cutting back and forth to him and Scott. Scott's just like, wow. Cut back to Lucas. Grind, 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 grind. Back to Scott. Wow. Cut back to Lucas. Grind, 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 grind. Back to Scott. <laughs> and then it cuts back to Lucas. It's great. Uh, and then he crashes. So he has defeated another evil ex. It's great. Uh, eventually, Envy calls. That's his ex. Brie Larson, Academy Award winner. Um, Knives comes by. Uh, Scott, to get away from her, like jumps out of a window. Uh, he gets chased down by a new ex. It's uh, Mae Whitman. There's a funny bit where he's just like, I don't, you know, I don't want to fight you right now, whatever. And she's like, oh, I'd love to postpone, darling, but I just cashed my last rain check. He says, what's that from? She says, my brain. <laughs> Ari Plaza is in this. She works at a coffee shop. But what's great is every time she curses, uh, it, it censors her mouth and like covers it up, sort of bleeps it out and stuff. Um, but it's very funny. Very well edited. Great bit where... Knives starts seeing young Neil and Ramona asks Scott, she says, well, how old is she? And his brain, it cuts to like a wheel in his brain and it goes through a few options, but it lands between two. And one is, I got to pee. And the next one is, who, her? And so he says, I got to pee on her. And then he just kind of ru runs away. It's very funny. So they see Envy Adams, the, the band, Clash of Demon Head, and they get invited backstage. And then and, and that's everybody, including Knives and stuff. And then for some reason, she says she freaks out because she loves Envy, and she didn't realize that she dated Scott. Uh, and so Knives is like, oh, 
I've kissed lips that have kissed you. And then Todd, who is Ramona's ex and is in the band with Envy, just stands up and punches Knives. And he's like, I don't care. I'm not afraid to hit a girl. And then young Neil goes and finds Knives, who has dyed her hair blue to look more like Ramona. And the 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 blue is out of her hair now. He's punched her so hard that the blue, her hair is not blue. And then young Neil is like, he punched the highlights out of her hair. He punched the highlights out of her hair. Um, It's great. Anyway, Scott and Todd start fighting. It's great. Todd is a vegan, so he has uh, these like special powers and stuff. It's great. And they get the, they just fight and stuff. They have a base battle, and uh, Scott is just getting his ass kicked, really. And there's a bit where Todd is like rooms away. He's like blown Scott through a bunch of these walls, essentially, just like knocked him through them all. And so he's like rooms away through a bunch of these walls. They you know there's a big hole through, and then the camera just looks a little to the left. And then he, like, just walks through the door. Like, he is, like, just teleported all the way over there. It's great. It's great. Looks great. It's great. Anyway, so Scott, he, um, his final option, he he has to trick Todd into uh, drinking some half and half. So he's like, here, would you like this uh, almond milk macchiato, whatever it was. And um, he's like, no, I obviously you've put the half and half in that one and you're trying to give me this one. So I'm obviously going to take this one because I know it's soy. And he drinks it and Scott's like, actually, I put the soy in this one. I just tried to think very hard about putting it in that one, you know, with my mind's eye and all. And so he's he accidentally drinks some half and half. And so his uh his hair, like, loses its power. And then Thomas Jane and Clifton Collins Jr., like, they burst through the wall with like these laser guns and they're like the vegan police. And they like, they're like, Hey, we're taking away your powers. And he's like, come on, don't I get like three strikes? And they pull out a little notepad and they're like, April 13th, you ingested some gelato, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what gelato's not vegan milk and eggs, bitch. (laughs) And then, uh, in September, blah, blah, blah. You ate a chicken Parmesan. Chicken Parmesan's not vegan? Blast him. And then they just blast him with a ray, and it takes away his vegan powers. or like, destroys him. It turns him into coins. Every time you kill one of the evil exes, they just burst into coins. It's great. Uh, and then they, Thomas Jane and Clifton Collins Jr., like, they, they go back out the wall, and they, like, high-five as they're, <laughs> as they're jumping out. It's, it's great. So they go to a party, uh, and Roxy shows up. Roxy is uh, another one of the exes, Mae Whitman, the one we saw earlier with the rain check. Uh, Roxy has like a bladed belt uh, and Ramona pulls out like a giant sledgehammer from her back. So now Ramona is fighting Roxy and then she Ramona's kicking ass. But then Roxy's like, don't you know, this is a league fight. He has to fight me with his own hands. And he's just like, I don't know if I can hit a girl. And Ramona's like, you don't have a choice. And so Ramona like puppet Scott's hands, just kind of like stands behind him and like grabs his arms to hit Roxy and stuff. It's great. Uh, but Roxy's about to land the final like killing blow on Scott. And she throws her leg in the air to like drop the kick down on him. And in slow motion, she's just like, Your BF is gonna get F'd in the B. <laughs> it's in slow motion. It's great. Um, all right, let's get through this. Come on. Next, next exes are the Katayanagi twins. They're also the next people that... Uh, the Sex Bob Bombs, that's Scott's band, by the way. Uh, the next band in the Battle of the Bands. 
So they go, and it's amp versus amp. So there's two stages, and they both have to play against each other. So you have like this sort of band, like a three-piece band, versus these two guys on, uh, I don't know, synthesizers and stuff. Like, uh, you know, it's kind of weird. Uh, but they both uh, start playing music. But then uh, the sound waves create like these big monsters, and it's like a uh, big two-headed dragon or something versus... Uh, the sex bob bombs create like a big uh, ape monster or something. I don't know. It's kind of strange now that I think about it. Uh, Jason Schwartzman is there. And that's when we learned that that's Gideon. And Ramona has gone back to Gideon. And uh, after after his band wins, they beat the Kairinagi twins. Uh, Ramona's leaving with uh, Jason Schwartzman, Gideon. And so he chases after Ramona, but he runs into knives. And then you hear a broken social scene. Anthems for a 17-year-old girl. It's very cute. Canadian band. A lot of Canadian love in this movie. Their band signs with Gideon. Scott doesn't want to, so he's out. They've had Young Neil sign. Uh, Ramona's with Gideon. Uh, Later, I think Gideon calls Scott or vice versa. And um, Scott's like, is Ramona with you? And Gideon, cut to Gideon, and he looks over at Ramona. And he says, what do you think? Are you with me? And she says, yes. And then you hear Scott scream on the phone. And he's like, hey, calm down. And then cut to Scott. He's like, "Ah, no, sorry, I spilled cocoa all over me. (laughs) Like, it's so funny. (laughs) Anyway, Scott shows up to take on Gideon uh, at, like, the album release party or whatever, where the sex bombs are celebrating their deal. And um, it's revealed that Scott basically cheated on Knives with Ramona and was also cheating on Ramona with Knives. And um, Gideon's like, you can cheat on these ladies all you like, but you can't cheat death. Uh, and then he stabs him through the heart with a sword. I should say, back at the Katty and Nagi twins, when they won, Scott got a one-up, a life. In a video game, when you get a one-up, you get an extra life. So later, if you die, you get a chance to come back. So Scott, when he showed up, he 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 got the power of love because he said he loved Ramona. And so using that power of love, he killed a bunch of people, but he ended up getting killed by Gideon. That's where we were. So we go back, gets the life. We go back through. He gets back there, and uh, and he immediately goes after Gideon, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to come after you for me. And then it's like, Scott is there in the power of self-respect. And he pulls a sword out of his stomach to fight Gideon with. It's crazy. Um, But they fight. And um, he eventually kills Gideon. Kicks him right in the face. His body explodes in the coins. It's a great shot. Uh, Last nega Scott shows up. That's like a a negative Scott. It it showed up earlier in the um, Dance Dance Revolution thing where it's like Nega Ninja. Um, And she says, don't beat yourself up about it. Uh, And that's, you know, at the end, you don't beat yourself up about it. Uh, So Scott and Nega Scott become friends and they're walking out. And it's kind of funny because it's like a ghost Scott with like pink eyes or something. And she's like, hey, I'll catch you later, ghost Scott. And, and, you know, Nega Scott walks away. And then Scott basically, uh, he, he goes back to Knives. But then Knives says, no, you should go be with Ramona. And then he goes and he's with Ramona. And then Ramona, like, they both fly through a door together. And then it says, continue. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Credits. Love it. Great movie. First time I saw this movie, I really do not know. I can tell you, I don't think I saw it in the cinema. So I am one of the reasons why this movie was a box office bomb. It did not do well in cinema. 
And I would say part of that is maybe the marketing, because honestly, I don't remember this movie being out in the theater. I would have watched it, I would think, right? I mean, this movie's right up my alley. So yeah, I I can't say I remember exactly when I first saw it, but uh, it was a while ago. I now own it on Blu-ray. I love it. Eventually, I'd like to own it on 4K. Am I right? Mm -hmm. My favorite scene, honestly, I mean, I know it's very small. God, most of this movie is so good. There's so much good stuff in it. Uh, But I really do like that little Seinfeld bit. (laughs) That's like one of the things in the movie I think about pretty often. Uh, Would it move up or down? I think this one is perfectly fine where it is. Uh, I think it may be the best movie I've seen so far. It's very entertaining. And it's like a self-care thing, you know? Like, if you're ever feeling a little down, check out Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. All right. I think now it is time to talk about my ninth favorite movie of all time. Number nine on my list of my 100 favorite movies. Talking about A Ghost Story. A Ghost Story came out in 2017, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, January 22nd, and it got a wide release on July 7th, 2017. It is a supernatural drama film written and directed by David Lowry. It stars Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. And there are a couple other people in it. Will Oldham, known by the stage name Bonnie Prince Billy. And I would tell you what it's about, but I think it's best if I just uh, start with the notes so we could uh, sort of discover what it is about along the way. So Casey Affleck plays a character only known as C, the letter C. Uh, We never see or hear him called by a name. Uh, Rooney Mara, she plays M, the letter M as in Mara. Uh, Also, I do not believe we ever, you know, see or hear her being called by a name. Um, so it's really just like a, you know, a man and woman, but in the credits, they're labeled C and M. So when the movie starts, first off, it's very interesting because, because the aspect ratio is in uh four, three, you know, just like traditional television, just straight up square box, you know, of course, like the, the corners are sort of rounded. So it almost looks like an old, uh, like it has like an old film reel type feel to it, you know? And it's a shot of um, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. They're lying down on a couch and they're sort of cuddling. And you hear like this noise in, in like somewhere in the house. And she says like this kind of scary noise. And, and he basically tells her, don't be scared. And then it says uh, a ghost story, I think. <laughs> she talks about how um, Rooney Mara, M, she talks about how when she was younger, she used to write notes and she would leave them in the walls and stuff. And then you hear like some scratching sort of coming from somewhere in the house. And they're just kind of listening to it, you know, kind of weird. You get a lot of Daniel Hart score, which is incredible. Uh, I highly recommend checking out this soundtrack. It's beautiful. One of my favorite albums of that year. There's a song in this film. We'll talk about it later. One of my favorites. It's great. They're lying in bed. All of a sudden they hear like some keys on the piano slam, you know. Casey Affleck immediately like jumps up, he gets out of bed, and he looks, and he goes in there, and he doesn't see anything. Irene Mara gets up, and she goes in there, you know, they don't see anything, they go back to bed. She's like, hey, my heart's racing, you can kind of hear it. And then it goes back a little bit to normal, and they start kissing a little bit. They really nailed this moment, I think, just like the midnight kisses, like, hmm, I don't know. Not that I would know. 
Uh, great moment that goes on for you know maybe a minute or two. It's very like um, pondering film. It um, you have to be patient with it. So we're just like sitting with them, and they're just sitting there sleeping or kissing. And then we cut to a shot outside the house, and we look over, and uh, it's their house, and we see two cars right outside the driveway have uh, been in a collision. And then we look and we see Casey Affleck is in one of the cars. So it looks like he was pulling out of his driveway and got T-boned. And um, presumably he's dead. And we know he's dead when she is in a hospital and she's just looking down at a sheet, at a body under a sheet. A nurse pulls the sheet over, pulls the sheet off, and we see Casey Affleck's face there. And she asks, can I have a minute? And the nurse says, of course, I'll be right out, around, around the corner. And then M is just looking at C's body, and um, she's in there for a minute. And then she puts the sheet back over his head, and then she walks out. Camera stays there, lingers, looking into the room. Maybe a minute later, the body like gets up, like sits up straight. But the sheet, it's very cool. They did this cool accordion fold on the sheet so that it looks like it's just one sheet. I mean, I mean, it is one sheet. But it looks like it sort of ends at the top. But really, it's just like there's so many folds right there. So that when uh, the person under the sheet sits up, it just pulls out of that fold. So, you know, it looks like, you know, the, the sheet is now covering his back as well. You know, it's a, it's a ghost sheet, you know. And he gets up and he starts walking through the hospital walls. I mean, hallways. He starts walking through the hospital hallways. Uh, and then this bright light sort of just like shows up in this wall. Like it's just like a doorway that disappears and then it closes and then the ghost just kind of walks out of the hallway and then there's shots of the ghost just walking across a field, just walking. The ghost is walking. He gets back home. There's a photo on the fridge. We see, uh, it's C and M. Someone shows up to the house and they knock on the door and they use the key to get in. It's a friend, it looks like. They brought uh, a pie and then uh, they, they're looking for a piece of paper to write on and they pull a piece of paper off the fridge. And if you notice, that photo is gone right there. Could be a continuity thing. I think it's more of a time is slipping thing, as we will see. She writes down, hey, if you need anything, let me know. Uh, and let me know when you want so-and-so to come by with an estimate about the painting Later, M comes in, she throws the piece of paper away, and then she looks in the trash for a bit. And I think it's a great moment because I think is what is happening is she's thrown the piece of paper away, but she sees a photo of her and C in the trash. Maybe she took it off the fridge and put it in the trash, and that's what she's looking at. I don't know. Hey, just a theory. I think it would be great, but who knows? She starts eating some of the pie and then she just sits down and she starts eating uh, the whole pie. And this goes on for minutes. And she's just sitting there and she's just eating and eating. All of a sudden she gets up and she runs to the bathroom and she starts vomiting. All the while the ghost is sort of in the background just watching her, you know. Cut to M. She's lying down on his side of the bed. The ghost comes up and touches her and presumably she doesn't feel anything, you know. Cut to the ghost is standing in the living room. We see M walk out of her room, walk out of the front door. And then we see it happen again and again. It's just like a loop. She keeps like walking out the door. But time is passing. She's wearing different outfits and stuff. 
It's just like time is slipping away. He's just catching these glimpses of it, you know? The ghost looks outside his window to the neighbor's house, and there's a ghost there. And the neighbor ghost is standing in the window. Our ghost says, hi. Or the neighbor ghost says, hi. Our ghost says, hi. The neighbor ghost says, I'm waiting for someone. Our ghost says, who? The neighbor ghost says, I don't remember. I love the gradual lighting shifts from night to day, from darkness to light. Just these gradual shifts, they're, they're, they're great. There's a moment he's sitting on the couch and M comes in and she's with this new guy. And then she like says like, hey, thanks for blah, blah, blah. And then he kisses her. And then we're looking at the ghost and he's just watching this happen. And then she like goes to her room to maybe check if everything looks okay. You know, she's about to invite him in and our ghost is kind of freaking out, you know? The lights surge in the apartment and then some books fall off the shelf. Cut to a little bit, you know, cut to like M is picking up some books off the floor as if this has happened days later, you know? We see like a flashback when he has her listen to a song that he's writing. And so she throws on some headphones and she's just like listening to his music. And then we're also flashing back to the present where she's also listening to it on earbuds. I need to find something that Dan Harmon wrote about a ghost story. <laughs> okay, you know what? I found it, but I, I have to wait to the end to read it because uh, some of it is about the end. So um, we'll talk about it later. It's kind of funny, I think. Anyway, it's a great song. It's actually called I Get Overwhelmed by Dark Rooms. It's a beautiful song, one of my favorites from 2017. And uh, it's gorgeous. I love to listen to it. It's great. Uh, I also love how the sound changes. When when it shows her listening with the over-the-ear headphones, you know, the sound is more full. When it cuts to her in the present, just lying down on the floor with the earbuds, it sounds a little bit more um, lo-fi or whatever. It's great. And, uh, and we listened to the whole damn song. <laughs> like, the whole song is in the movie. It's great. Anyway, she's packing up. She's packing up boxes and stuff. And then she writes a little note. And she shoves it in the door jam. And she paints over it. And, uh, and she drives away. And she cries. And he is stuck in the house. In that window in the living room. And he's just looking out. And he's watching her drive away. And the music, we cut to just her point of view, you know? It's just like her in the car. Not her point of view, but it's just a shot of her. And, uh, and the music is a little bit more hopeful for her. I don't think it would be as hopeful if we were still looking at the ghost. Because the implication is he's trapped here. And his love has moved away. And he has to stay in this house, you know? It's, it's profoundly sad, I would say. Anyway, this is roughly the halfway point for the movie. And then suddenly, kids are running around the house. And before you know it, a, a single mom Hispanic family has moved in with her two kids. Time is slipping away. We're moving further and further into the future. He walks through walls for the first time. He ends up in the boy's closet. One night, he just like opens the door to scare the kids and the boy shoots at the ghost with his little toy laser gun. We, you know, as far as we know, he can see the ghost. The family is eating dinner one night, and he knocks over a picture on the piano of the family. Then he starts poltergeisting the kitchen. 
you know, before you know it, he's like throwing dishes and stuff and, and, you know, making things levitate. He's like trying to scare this family out of there. And, um, and presumably he does. And then we see the neighbor ghost again. And then the neighbor ghost goes, who's there? Our ghost says, it's just me. And the neighbor ghost says, oh, I thought maybe, never mind. Um, Very sad. The whole neighbor ghost, very sad. All that stuff is sad. Anyway, now we're at a party. This feels like Texas, by the way. And so, you know, we got some youngish people, 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. I don't know. And they're all partying and stuff. Kesha is at the party. Kesha gave music for them to use. And she's at the party. Bonnie Prince Billy is there. Will Oldham. And he's delivering a hell of a monologue about how we're all going to die. Everything we've ever known and loved will go away. Nothing is going to last. Our kids are going to die. Their kids are going to die. Their kids are going to die. We make things that we hope will stick around in the future. We hope will persevere, but that's it. And time slips away. Nothing will last. Time inevitably marches on. Cut to the house is empty, a little more decrepit now. We're further into the future. The ghost is crouched down at the door jam and it's scratching at it. Still scratching at the door jam, trying to get this note out. And just as it's about to get the note out, a loader, truck, you know, it just comes in and levels the house. And there's nothing left. There's no walls. It's just a bunch of scrap and debris just all over the ground. And he looks over and he sees the neighbor ghost. Also, their house is leveled, just a bunch of debris on the ground. Looks like a tornado has come through or something, you know? It's just like two ghosts, like, standing in the ruins of their houses. And the neighbor ghost says, I don't think they're coming. And that sheet just drops. No more ghost. Suddenly, our ghost is standing at the base of a sky rise. Time is marching on. They've built a sky rise where this house was. And now the ghost is wandering around the sky rise while they're building it. Now it's built. Now the ghost is in like a board meeting. Time is slipping away. We're still going into the future. He's just walking around and find the ghost just goes to the roof. And we look out. Neon sky rises everywhere. It looks like Blade Runner or something. We're in the future, you know? And then the ghost jumps off the building. Blackout. Now we're in a field. There's nothing there. It's just a field. And this guy in these old clothes looks like maybe 19th century. He comes in and he's, he's staking out some land, you know. And then a carriage comes. It's got, looks like his wife and maybe three daughters. They're heating a kettle over a fire. Uh, the little girl, she writes on a piece of paper. And I'm told that she's humming the song that Casey Affleck wrote, which would be wild. And then she puts the paper under a rock. They haven't built the house yet. They're just like living in this field area. And they're sort of living out out of their carriage. Cut to, you hear like some Native American yelps and stuff. Cut to, the family is dead. They've been struck down by arrows. There are like just arrows in the bodies. The body just like decomposes before his eyes. Like it's almost like you blink and suddenly like a hundred years have gone by. Uh, And well, I would say you blink and maybe... 30 years has gone by and you know the body is much more decomposed 
blinks again, grass is grown up around the body, and then suddenly he's in the house again, and he sees the agent showing C and M the house for the first time, and he's watching C and M living in this house, and it's like a a rose-color look at all of their relationship, and he's flashing through all the great moments, some bad, some fights and stuff. And we're learning that, you know, she really wanted to move, but he really wanted to stay in the house. He said there was history. And she's like, there's not as much history as you think. And we're just flashing through the relationship. And then one day he says, okay, let's move. I'll move out. Let's do it. And then we see the ghost almost like defeated. And he sits down at the piano. And when he does, like his elbow like hits the keys. And that's what we heard at the beginning of the movie. We see Casey Affleck, or we see C and M come out. They're inspecting. They don't see anything. And it looks like something fell on the piano. And they go back. We're hearing the song from earlier, sort of a stripped-down version. And then the ghost starts seeing his past self, like when the ghost was there. So now there are two ghosts in the house. There's the ghost that has gone all through time, and is like looped back to the beginning, who is now seeing the first ghost in the house. It's it's trippy. It's great. I love it. And that ghost, he watches the ghost watch M leave. And our ghost, he goes straight to the door jam. The note should be very easy to get to now, you know? And he gets it, and he pulls it out. He gets to the note. He opens the note. He reads it, and the sheet drops. No more ghost. As far as we know, he has completed his unfinished business, perhaps. I don't know. What happens? Does the ghost come to a realization of sorts? And when they come to that realization, they can move on? Much like when the neighbor ghost said, I don't think they're coming. And then boom, the ghost gets to move on. I don't know. All I know is that movie is a masterpiece. An absolute masterpiece. Now let's read what Dan Harmon wrote to his uh, girlfriend slash fiance. I love that Casey Affleck's character in the movie's job is to compose that song. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I got to get back to work. And he goes in the living room and puts on headphones and sings this (laughs) while he's playing a little keyboard. No wonder when he died, he became a Charlie Brown ghost. The only thing missing was his boss calling on the phone at one point and yelling through the phone, Affleck, where's that song? My boyfriend and I are going through a rough patch. Really? Why? I I thought you guys bought that really dismal house in the middle of a field. Yeah, but his work is really... He gets overwhelmed. What's happening at work? He's self-employed. He works in the living room. On what? A song. It's about getting overwhelmed. It's really haunting. Is that good? Not sure. He's just really into it. And his upper body is super cut, so I assume it's healthy. But where are you guys at emotionally? Honestly, it's like he's there, but he's not there. But that's what the song is about, so maybe that's good. Is the song finished? I mean, it's like literally our soundtrack, so it sure feels that way. Is he going to turn it into someone? No, he just keeps playing it. Honestly, Rachel, it's as close as you can get to dating a ghost. He could die tomorrow, and the only difference would be I could get back to my hobby. Oh, that thing where you leave random notes everywhere? They're not random. They're super meaningful, and they're to people I love, and I hide them. 
Have you written one to him? I'm gonna. I found a sweet spot in the door jam. Uh, what's it gonna say? You know, I love you. Good job on that song. The song was pretty good. That kind of stuff. You can't tell him now? I don't know what his process is. What if I tell him it's good and he stops making the song? Does he work for anyone? Where do you guys get your money? Our house is in a potato field 90 miles from Portland. We don't need money. Why are you judging my relationship just because you have a botched... (laughs) I can't read the rest of this. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyway, you get it. Look, I love this movie, but I yeah, I, I think that's funny. Where it's just like, yeah, he just writes a song about how he's overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yes, that is true. That's what he does. Oh, look, I love this movie. I love a ghost story. Gosh, I love a ghost story. It's moving. Favorite scene? Well, first, let's talk about the first time I saw it, which I can tell you when exactly that was. I will say shout out to my friend Mary Alice, who not only sort of introduced me to Explosions in the Sky, so now every time I listen to Explosions in the Sky, I kind of think of her, but she also was the first one, I mean, I I heard it was good, I heard I wanted to see it, but she saw it first and was like, you've got to see this movie, and I was like, I know, I hear it's good, and she was like, yeah, it's good. I watched it October 25th, 2017. And I wrote, well, folks, it's official. I have a new favorite movie of 2017. It's the best movie I've seen since blank. And it was made exactly for me. It's hauntingly beautiful. I think it's in my top 15 movies of all time. Maybe even top 10. It's too soon to tell. I just know it deeply affected me. It's a very cathartic and emotionally exhausting experience. It's a perfect movie. It's beautifully shot, beautifully performed and incredibly profound. Please do whatever you can to see this movie, and I suggest doing so without watching the trailer. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what my favorite scene is. Maybe I, I really love the neighbor ghost stuff. So really anything... By the way, who the, the, um, the director, David Lowry, played the neighbor ghost. So great job, David. But uh, th- that... I mean, there's so many. I love the song. All the song stuff is great. Uh, the neighbor ghost. What else is good? You know, a lot of good stuff. Would it move up or down? I think it's good where it is. I think this is currently the best movie I've seen. Um, yeah, my top ten is is good so far. I think. I think right now we have a a solid list. A ghost story, then Scott Pilgrim, and and then a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Um, gosh, I hope this wasn't a long one. I realized I talked a long time about both of these, but. That's what it's going to be. These are my favorite movies. So on the next episode, we have Dogtooth, currently streaming on Canopy and Shudder, and Before Sunrise, not currently streaming, but you can rent it online if you'd like. Um, But yeah, that's going to be on the next episode. So you can find us on Facebook or Instagram, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, like and subscribe, blah, 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 all that stuff. Really, it's just super cool to rewatch my favorite movies, you know? So do that with me. Until next time. Bye-bye.